Geopolitics and Empire is joined by political analyst Tim Kirby, who covers news, politics, and ideas from a Russian perspective via his Tim Kirby Russia channel on Rumble and Pentagon Tube, YouTube, and find him on find him on Telegram at Tim Kirby Hardcore. What if the left and the right are wrong? He says, Здравствуйте, Tim. Oh, здравствуйте. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we're on YouTube for now. I'll put it this way. I can't believe it hasn't been banned. Uh, I'm stunned. So it'll happen because I actually do a travel program called Russia Tips, Trick, Tricks and Travel, which you can find on Rumble at RTTT, RN3Ts, uh, which is banned. That got immediately destroyed the day the special operation began. Uh, but the political channel ironically still survives, maybe because it's less successful. Yeah, I was wondering how you were still uh, on YouTube. I keep getting strikes. I I, I had two strikes. Yeah. They got repealed. I got another strike. And so uh, anyways, but um, yeah, I wanted to get your take. You're there living uh, in uh, Russia. Uh, you're an American like myself. Um, but I, you know, before we get into the what's going on with Ukraine and all that, I just wanted to get your take on what life is like uh, in Russia, you know, before uh the ukraine situation and currently uh, i visited russia in 2017 and i had a uh fantastic time but that was more you know i went there for like three weeks how has uh how's life in in russia now did i hear you correct that you said about the covid situation how that changed russia or the do you mean the special operation i mean if you, if you just in general like if you want to you know what was life what has life been like in russia you know foreigners might have this impression yeah. it sucks or it's authoritarian or i don't know if you just tell us <laughs> yeah you're, that you're, uh, that whole authoritarian thing we were sort of chit-chatting a bit before the program and uh we kind of came to the consensus that ironically generally the poorer countries tend to offer a lot more freedom and uh, russia is always accused of being a poor country so i think it kind of fits that model uh, to a pretty good extent. I mean, um, um, the thing is, is I think people have a very irrational and strange view of the way governments actually act. And they sort of get into this mindset that say there's a country that has a strict government. That means that they're absolutely sure that if you make fun of the leader over the kitchen table at dinner, guys in uh, black uniforms are going to come and take you away. And even in countries where there are some pretty strict things, that is not the case. Uh, I can tell you, if you really want to know what would actually get you in trouble for would be going on VK, which is like the Russian Facebook and setting up some sort of Facebook group. That's like a secessionist movement for part of Russia. That'll get you in deep doo-doo. Uh, what else would, uh, you know, stuff that's uh, the, the classic stuff that generally the uh, FBI looks out for, which is like domestic terrorism, human trafficking, all that. The question is, how effectively do they work? Well, according to Donald Trump, not good enough. Uh, but you see what I mean? So like, there are some things that really can get you in trouble in Russia, but there's so uh, like that sort of the concept you're probably familiar with the Overton window, right? Yeah. So essentially we have this Overton window. What's inside the window is acceptable. What's on the edge of it is edgy and what's outside of it is uh, unacceptable to society or we're not going to do that. Well, I would actually say that Russia actually offers a pretty big fat Overton window. The acceptable range of what you're allowed to say and do is pretty big besides uh rabble rousing as in making the ethnicities fight each other, secessionism. Uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even during COVID, well, what was COVID like from someone who uh, spends a lot of time in Moscow and the Moscow region? Uh, the region around Moscow is a separate state. It is a separate uh, entity from the city. And uh, it was pretty easy, man. I mean, there was like a three month lockdown within the city, which isn't wasn't even that crazy of a lockdown. because You could still go to the store. They kind of just closed the parks. And I spent all my time basically at the dacha with my kids. Uh, it really wasn't such a big thing. There wasn't this whole like, I don't know. A lot of the stuff that people experience in other countries, especially Austria, Australia, and Canada, seem to be the 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 the, the, the triple crown of fascism. Uh, they uh, we that really didn't happen here, you know. Unvaxed yeah. to this day. Yeah, me too. Uh, and just to give some perspective, again, what you're talking about in Russia, I think that's the same. Um, the Overton window is the same for any country. Look, I'm an American. Oh, yeah. I'm living here in Mexico. The Department of Homeland Security took me down from PayPal. You know, they created a disinformation governance board. Oh, and that, that, that same week, Mint Press Consortium and myself. So how how's that for, you know, when people talk about other countries, when America is doing this thing? And, you know, we have every, every yeah. week. I was just uh, talking about uh, on my program with Jose Nino uh, this week, uh, an American who was criticizing um, leftist stuff, abortion. Uh, the police raided his house for posting online about uh, against abortion. This is the United States. 
So again, this stuff is happening uh, yeah. across the board. And yeah, it is, and it's uh, it's it's really sad, man. Because we used to be sort of the flag, the flagship of not doing this sort of thing, and now we've actually kind of become, in a way, ironically, the flagship of doing it if it serves certain types of interests. So yeah, uh, but the whole yeah, the Overton window is a very universal concept. It applies to all cultures and all peoples and all times because in America, the over the shape and the the the, the where things are within this window. Uh, has been obviously very different from, I don't know, 1850 to 1950 to 2050. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's more and more universal than that. But uh, uh, but so anyways, uh, still, I would say that if someone comes here and they actually live here and they give it a try, they'll see pretty easy, pretty quickly that uh, no one's coming for you if you don't like the system or whatever happened to be gay or no one cares. A message from our sponsors. It seems we're headed for economic collapse, a dystopian social credit system, even another world war. As a longtime expat myself, I've secured multiple passports, getaway locations, foreign financial accounts, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. Mikhail Thorup of the Expat Money Show can help you do the same and become great reset proof. He's hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim your freedom in a time of upheaval and uncertainty by moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Themes include securing your Plan B safe haven, offshore banking, decentralized finance, second passports, and much more. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy eating bug burgers in your smart city. If you do find yourself stuck in a smart city, the Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in English and Spanish, so hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. All right. Um, I want to get your thought on kind of your general view on, um, some people call it the, the invasion of Ukraine, the special uh, operation, Operation Z. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of what, what your view is on the whole Ukraine situation. I mean, there's a big context that people leave out that, you know, the US and NATO and EU did these color revolutions, 2004, 2014, these coups. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and um, there's there's that huge context. And so, yeah, well, what's your view uh, living in Russia about what, what, what Ukraine is all about? Well, again, living in Russia, let's just say, let's just put this way. Living in Russia is a little bit, uh, maybe not the proper way to phrase it it's more from a pro-russian position okay well one thing i have to criticize my pro-russian buddies about is they all now call what's happening in ukraine the special operation i use that term sometimes too because it's easier but to be honest uh, i've been told over the last eight years that there's a war in ukraine but now that the russian army has gone in there's no longer a war it is a special operation so i think that there's a little bit of kind of a 1984 double speak thing with that going on i don't like it so very often on my channel i refer to it as the hot phase where before this it was sort of a the ukrainians are over here the donbass militias over here we have some artillery shelling back and forth there's a little bit of movement but it's very much a sort of um stagnant conflict so that's why i call it the hot phase uh but anyways so from a russian perspective This war has been going on since 2014, because in 2014, after the Maidan revolution, a lot of people weren't happy with it. Um, In fact, I was just talking to a Russian person who presented a very interesting concept. He said that uh, the Don, I actually made a video kind of about this, but for different reasons. Uh, about the Second Amendment has been proved to be a very good thing uh, because of the events that are happening in the Donbass. But his opinion was that really what happened in 2014, the Donbass, is exactly what the U.S. Constitution means by uh, the Second Amendment and being able to have a well-formed, regulated militia to um, uh, fight against the excesses of power. Because, again, from a Russian perspective, uh, thanks to some support from the West, uh, essentially the uh, elected government was overthrown and they put in place some uh, questionable individuals who came in pretty soon and made sure that all competition was stomped out. And they went out east to where people were the least happy with it. And at first, you know, they sent the tanks out there and the locals tried to meet them, you know, kind of like a 
peaceful resistance, just like, hey, don't drive over us, don't shoot us. Uh, but guess what? That's where the whole Nazi battalion comes in because they don't care. They don't, they, uh, you know, it's the kind of psychology, uh, uh, would it be being sociopathic where you could just shoot someone for fun, even if they're crying and begging for mercy? So you have this sort of sociopathic collective, which is good enough to uh, terrify the locals there, so on and so forth. And that's what uh, made uh, some of the regions there rise up and uh, start uh, fighting back. Probably case in point would be in Odessa, which would be May 2nd, 2014. Uh, that's when Nazis burnt alive uh, Russian, pro, well, kind of pro-Russian or pro-anti-Maidan protesters is probably the best way to put it. Anti-Maidan protesters, they burnt them alive. And obviously that sent a pretty big signal to the rest of Ukraine that uh, uh, the territory of then Ukraine that, uh, yeah, this this just got real. And also when those tanks went down there to the Donbass and some of them uh, didn't exactly weren't exactly too shy about shooting people. And so it began. And that gave the United States and uh, Russia essentially eight years to begin to prepare for a much bigger, uh, somewhat, unfortunately, inevitable than uh, proxy war that's happening now. What would you say um, is the objective of President Putin and, and, and Russia just to secure the eastern uh, breakaway republics or you know there's people in the west saying they want to take mm. all of ukraine what's your take there well about that they want to take all of ukraine well the problem is is that the sort of northwestern part of ukraine the part that uh poland has been eyeing ever since this started uh, we should see a lot of action at the polls have somehow gotten i believe this sounds insane but i believe now polish citizens can take part in elections in ukraine they are really getting they, they want uh, they've also said that they want to you know launch some sort of operation where they'll uh, be sort of like protecting their borders remember in syria how the turks said we're going to create this 30 kilometer buffer zone around syria to like protect ourselves they basically just took 30 kilometers of of Syria from all the borders that border Turkey. And I think that Poland was trying to use the same sort of uh, logic there. It hasn't quite happened yet, but uh, uh, according to the Russian Ministry of Defense's actual, their data, by far the biggest group of mercenaries fighting in Ukraine are actually Polish. So so there you go. There's the Polish factor there uh, coming from, from someone who's more Polish than Russian, um, which is interesting. But uh, anyways, that part of Ukraine, which Poland really, really wants, is not pro-Russian at all. Like, if you want to talk about a place where there would be an insurgency against the Russians, it would be a city called Lvov or Lviv, as the Ukrainians call it. That is really the epicenter of anti-Russian Nazism, nationalism, and so on and so forth. Whereas you've seen so far, uh, although the mainstream media would love to report it, like, so the Russians have gone in, you know, it's a war. It's pretty chaotic. Okay. So have there been some sort of like anti-Russian uprisings that any of these territories have taken? Not so much. Someone could say, well, but the Russians are so brutal. They'll kill anyone who stands against them. Well, I don't know. It's not, not so much. So, again, uh, as you see, Russia's done a very good job of taking territory and uh, groups that are very friendly to it. Uh, because I think the Russians definitely understand that taking territory that you cannot hold is a bad idea. Like, I don't know, maybe with the United States, we could, um, I don't know, we, Elon Musk wants more uh, cobalt for and nickel and stuff for his car batteries, for his Teslas. Let's just go into Africa and just take it. Well, if we, you know, launch the send the U.S. military on boats really far away, even though Africa is not really known for its fighting potential, if we were to just conquer this gigantic swath of Africa, it's going to be far away. Russia and China are on the rise. They're going to be able to sort of, you know, fuel anti-American fight. Even though we have this vast military superiority, it doesn't work. It's it, That's the geopolitics, okay, of these regions and their shapes, interactions. And that's why the Russians blew up certain train lines north of Odessa. In a way, they sort of sent a signal. That's the future border. They basically cut the, the train and transport lines above Odessa, because what it's going to wind up being is going to be a push all the way through Odessa to make contact with uh, Transnistria, also known as Pridnistria, uh, because that's another sort of hot spot, hot point uh, to uh, pick at Russia with. And it's going to go up and take everything east of the Dnieper River. And that's probably what the shape of it's going to look like, because the absolute strong majority of people in those regions would be just happy to live in Russia, especially today's wealthier russia yeah and um i want to get your thoughts as well there's this again this view in the west where 
I mean, I have fellow Croatians telling me, you know, what are you, what's up with this? The Russians are invading um, Ukraine. Mm. That's so bad and all of that. And I'm like, uh, the other day I was looking at photos I have of myself in 2003 um, in the U.S. marching in the protest against the American invasion uh, of the Iraq, uh, of the war, you know, of Iraq yeah. and the Iraq war. So I'm wondering, okay, all these Westerners, Europeans, Americans now that are talking about this, I'm like, well, where were you when we, our governments invaded Iraq and killed more than 2 million innocent people? You know, scientific studies came out a few, a few years ago. They calculated that, you know, two million, one to 2 million innocent Iraqis died as yeah. a result of that war of our governments. Where were you on Libya, on, yeah. on Syria, on Yemen? And then all of a sudden, now it's the Russians going into Ukraine. And the way I kind of view it is, it's like um, America has been telegraphing to Russia, we're going to overthrow Ukraine. We're going to take mm -hmm. it. They effectively control Ukraine, Washington and, and Brussels. They're controlling Ukraine. There's no sovereignty there. And in their white papers, I mean, they just put out this decolonization thing. They want to destroy Russia. I mean, Putin said this many years ago. They want to defang and declaw the bear. They want to decolonize it. They want to yeah. dismember it, the RAND Corporation. So their strategic goal is to destroy. It's, it's like if Russia said, we're going to overthrow Mexico. And well, then after, after we overthrow Mexico, we're going to go destroy the U.S. So I wouldn't have a problem of the U.S. then, you know, coming into Mexico with a special operation to fend off Russia. So, I mean, what are your thoughts here? Well, yeah, and I mean, uh, it, it, it like uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Someone just sent me a, a phone call. Why people shouldn't never never call Tim. Always write Tim first. Uh, but anyways, uh, jumping back to your question here, I kind of got a little bit distracted by that phone call. Uh, I can tell you one thing that again, we're going back to the stated the stated goals. Okay, there's been some things that have been stated. Putin said that the stated goals are uh, denazification and demilitarization of Ukraine. Those are some of those of like official goals. Now, I believe it was Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin who said that the uh, real mission there in Ukraine is to just bleed. I forget the ter exact terminology used, but it's to sort of grind Russia down. So really, the objective here is to sort of make Russia waste men, materials, wealth, to try to create some sort of especially economic crisis in Russia. So that way people turn against Putin, regime change, and then Russia goes back to being the world's gas station and everyone's happy. Now, about your friends in Croatia. Why they think the way they do is because of tribalism, because tribalism is the most powerful factor that influences uh, human or international relations, uh, global events, new everything. It, it, tribalism is huge. It even affects children at school who always want to uh, the goth kids go over there, the hip hop kids go over there and they all hate each other. Right. Tribalism is an important factor. And people don't really look in the mirror and understand this. And for them. If they're like Croatian kind of nationalists, uh, then Serbia is Satan and Ru uh, Russia uh, is like the big demons of Satan. And that's why. And so for them, they're, they don't think of the things, well, you know, there's the Iraq war. And they're like, but in this war, the, our buddies in America want to make Russians die. That's awesome because the Russians are the demonic servants of the great Satan of Serbia. And that's all they care about. But in a way, they're actually being because you you kind of made it seem like they're being intellectually inconsistent, but they're actually deep down completely in, intellectually uh, consistent because their hatred for Serbia slash Russia and that sort of group of uh, peoples uh, is really what's important. But they're going to tell you with their not their subconscious mind, which is where the hatred comes from, with their conscious mind, they're going to say, oh, yeah, America, freedom, democracy. Uh, we're in the West and the West is, is always uh, human rights da, 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 and all that stuff. But that's not the real underlying motivation. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I would consider myself a Croatian nationalist in the healthy sense. But mm -hmm. what you're referring to is there is this other strain of Croatian nationalists that are closer to what happened in the 1940s, this Croatian Nazi regime, you know, for three years, uh, Croatia was uh, with the Nazis. And th that's the, I, I stay away from them. And that's the crowd kind of that hates like Serbia and Russia. And it's like, well, I have no reason out to hate anyone else. You know, I want what's best for the na nation of Croatia. But beyond that, I have no reason to hate. Well, yeah, I just like to point out another thing for people who are interested in sort of the, the, the way the world looks from a sort of Russia watchers perspective is now, if we look across Europe, 
where can you have a tiki torch neo-Nazi parade? Well, you can't do it in Spain or France or Germany, but you can do it in the Baltic nations. And you at least, well, for the near future, you could still do it in Ukraine. Why? Because their goofy nationalists serve U.S. foreign policy interests. If the people in the Baltics, their nationalists were, say, I don't know, let's take, uh, you know, I can tell you for a fact that within Poland during the Cold War, uh, some uh, because it was part of the Warsaw Pact, so kind of logically, uh, some of the uh, like, I guess you'd call them refugees or relatives of um, uh, important people in Vietnam uh, who wanted to sort of escape that kind of went to Poland. And so there's a weird teeny tiny, I think, around Warsaw uh, minority of uh, Vietnamese. Now, what if Polish nationalism was completely against this, these immigrant groups that they're just obsessed with this? They wouldn't get one drop of support from Washington because who cares? Nationalists, the problem about nationalists is, is generally liberals are very good at using them to make them go out and fight and die because liberals are pussies. <laughs> and that is exactly what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, so many of these uh, who are, you know, presumably pretty because the Russians kind of make it sound like all their enemies are weak. That's sort of the Russian. I don't know what you want to call it, jingoism. But, you know, a lot of these guys uh, in these uh, Nazi private battalions are pretty tough guys and have fought to the bitter end uh, against the Russians. But what are they really serving? What kind of nationalist Ukrainian state are they really going to create, especially a state that's completely and totally now financially dominated by America? It is going to turn into, I don't know, uh, some kind of like uh, England, France, Germany, in the sense of being completely helpless completely destitute uh, in terms of its overall finances and completely, you know, immigrant controlled LGBT, uh, death of the family, death of culture, death of everything. So in a lot of ways, these nationalists are actually really fighting for postmodern as in post nationalist goals. It's a uh, very sad to see so many men die to actually fight against what they believe in. Yeah. And uh, I want to get your th thoughts on what's the general um, impression among the Russians in Ru Russia of, of what's going on. You know, one other historical context that I see is it's been two or three centuries that the West has wanted to destroy Russia, the Napoleon and, and the French and, and the Nazi Germans. And so you see that for centuries, the West has been the aggressor against Russia. I mean, if we, you know, of course you had the Soviet Union and, and all of that and, and, and Stalin, but in general, that wider view is that Russia has always been uh, um, the the victim of mm -hmm. aggression, and so what's the? And it feels like, from what I'm reading, that Russians feel like it's them against the world uh, now. What's the you know average Russians view of of what's happening? Oh, the average Russians view. Well, first off, you just made a very interesting point about history. So I'll get to your actual question. I just wanted to make this point that uh, in my videos on my channel, Tim Kirby Russia, which you can find on YouTube. Uh, rumble, bit shoot. It's easy. My first name, my last name, the word Russia. Uh, that I've made the point that if you take a look at the map of like Napoleon's, you know, the French uh, sort of uh, we'll call it empire and his allies within continental Europe, you take a map of uh, Nazi Germany and their allies of continental Europe. You take another map that sort of looks at the uh, layout of basically the EU or NATO. These maps are very similar. It really seems like, again, this is the geopolitics that there's some sort of cultural or invisible or geographic force. Uh, if you, Professor Alexander Dugan was here, he'd say it's because that uh, the great Eurasian landmass begins and Russia's land empire and the Europe is sea, but we'll, we could talk about that some other time. That essentially uh, there is some sort of real reason why the West and Russia are going to be ever divided and why one cannot take the other. And that there's somewhat of a natural state of affairs for Europe in its sort of shape of the EU uh, to sort of naturally exist in that shape and that layout. So there we go into the geopol geopolitical uh, way of reasoning of things. Now, your actual question was about how do how did normal Russian people react to what's happening in Ukraine? Um, maybe a little bit of shock, although if you go outside of Moscow, because people in Moscow are basically like Westerners, but if you go outside of Moscow, the problem is that Russians are very because of their mindset, don't really panic or flip out. 
Uh, they sort of just uh, they're very stoic, I would say, is a, is a natural part of Russian culture. So I wouldn't say that they exactly panicked. But I could definitely say that, again, going back to that uh, burning of people alive in the um, uh, 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 that uh, building, a governmental building in Odessa in 2014, that was a pretty big breaking point. I think um, most of Russia was sort of like, OK, it's on. That's really, was, you know, and to be honest, uh, I was t- I've been telling people for years, both in Russian and in English. That because people say this dumb stuff about Putin, they're like, but don't people don't they want to rise up and demand their freedom from Putin? What kind of freedoms? You can do whatever the hell you want. I like what do you like? What freedoms are you talking about? I can tell you two things that people have been mad about at Putin real mad for the last uh, many years. Number one, the state pension reforms. No one likes them. Okay, and judging what looking at Putin's interviews when that actually happened. He almost looked like uh, one of those like kind of like uh, African leaders after taking an IMF loan, like, oh, no, we are completely fucked. You know, <laughs> that's kind of, was kind of the look on his face. Right. Uh, uh, but anyways, he did it. And boy, people do not like that to this day. They, we have the uh, Russians are not happy with their Social Security system at all. OK, and they uh, blame that on Putin. That's number one. And number two, until the special operation started, the other big thing that people that made Putin's popularity rating go down by 10 points was the situation in Ukraine, because the average person in Russia felt that this Maidan revolution happened. It was completely illegal, immoral, so on and so forth. And they're murdering our people down there. You know, the, the, the news in Russia was saying for eight years how awful this is. They're killing our people. OK, they're killing our people. And we're doing what about it? Seemingly nothing. And then one day happened. Uh, that day was February 24th, 2022. That day happened. And all of a sudden that changed. And not surprisingly, that 10 or so percent of people who lost faith in Putin got back on the Putin wagon. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. People are still not happy about the Social Security package here. And that's another reason why you hear from the Russian government saying uh, our next focus, uh, especially after this is over, social programs, social security, social programs, you know, basically telling the public, OK, we'll pay you back for this. We'll pay you back. OK, OK. Yeah, you retired 65. We'll do something. Ah, Leave us alone. You see what I mean? So, yeah. So, again, it's about these perspectives. It can be so frustrating because. Uh, to be honest, my friend, if I had the chance to actually become like a chief editor at the BBC division that's here, which I think is now gone, but and really actually create a culture of anger towards the Russian government, uh, I would do it in a completely different way because they always pick these weird liberal talking points. They're like, you should hate the government because they're harsh on gays. That that does not matter. Uh, you know, that no one cares about that. Or they're like, people here have their freedom of speech restricted. Maybe if you want to teach, uh, like, maybe if you want to have trannies come to libraries and talk to children and seduce them, then yes, their freedom of speech is reduced. So again, their, their talking points, their entire uh, perspective on things is wrong. What you can sort of beat away at Russians with psychologically, maybe I shouldn't be telling you this because it is the secret weapon. Russians want stuff. The only thing that Russians actually like, first off, the Russians do not fucking understand the West. Excuse me. Uh, not They think that they don't know shit. Nothing. Okay. That's the first point. The second point is what do they, what do they like about the West? The stuff. I've made this example a million times. I'll tell it to you because I've said it a million times. Russians like the West, like some drunk guy at a bar likes the woman with the big boobs who looks easy. He sees the boobs. He's drunk. He wants to, you know, he's not thinking, well, I don't know. Would she be the kind of woman I'd like to spend the rest of my life with? No, they just like the stuff. And that's their attitude towards things. And that's really the point of manipulation where if someone's going to, and to be honest, that's really what uh, helped the Maidan because uh, the people there were absolutely convinced that this is awesome. We'll do this revolution and then we're going to get to be in Europe. And somehow, because we have different leaders that are pro-European, we're all going to be rich. We're all going to be rich. It's all going to be awesome. I don't know. A question. Uh, maybe you would know better than anyone. So uh, that kind of sort of happened also in the 90s in Yugoslavia. So is Croatia now super rich? Uh, it did. No. OK. So did did the reality meet up with people's dreams of what becoming a part of the EU would yield? No, I just uh, Ursula von der Leyen tweeted um, the other day. Uh, Ukraine is going through hell. 
because they want to join uh, the European dream. And I quote tweeted her and I said, uh, I would go through hell to get Croatia out of the EU. Uh, and so we're, we're completely screwed. I mean, we, after entering the EU, we're going to lose our currency next year, the Kuna. We're going to get the Euro. You know, everything's Uh-oh. bought up. Everything banks are bought up by foreign interests. Like we've got nothing that's ours anymore. And so, yeah, we're completely uh, screwed. And I would just add on what you were saying. I lived in Kazakhstan, former Soviet Union, for three, four years. And Me too. I w- yeah. I, and, and it was this. You live in Kazakhstan or what? Two years. Yeah. I was a P- Peace Corps volunteer. Actually. Ah, OK. Wow. I did Peace Corps in Mongolia. I only did a little. Oh, over, it's very similar. Over, over a year. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I would just say about Kazakhstan. And technically, I was working for the president, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. But great job. And I really enjoyed the country. But um, I, I would just argue, yes, it's there is this light authoritarianism. They would shut off the Internet. Uh, at times, um, you know, metal with the Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, when people were getting rowdy, um, I had my VPN service blocked and even my email start mail is banned in Russia and Kazakhstan. But otherwise, what you were saying, um, you're, you're kind of left to your own devices. Like you can, if you have this economic freedom, you can go out, do what you like. But I mean, there are, as you said, certain red lines over. But it's like most people don't even care to deal with politics. It's like, I, I don't care. I got my job. You got your family. You got your other interests. And I, I mean, I, I don't even care that much about the government in, in Kazakhstan. So in general, I would say, yeah, like you have this freedom. It's just those people that you're citing extremists in the sense that want to go make these crazy points. And regarding the the sexual stuff in these countries like Kazakhstan and Russia, 95 percent of people are not on board with all of this transgender stuff. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And the, but the other thing, like you mentioned, is it's sort of like with Russia, it's like, why are we talking about this? Like that's the, the grand question is sort of like, is sort of like a, because in Russian, there's actually two words for why there's a Pachimu is like a more neutral. Why? And then there's a why like, Oh God, why that's Zachem. And that's why they always like Zachem, Zachem, what that, the, why, why is this? Why is this? And that's really what uh, people are asking themselves all the time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an abstract uh, thing to explain it, but um, uh, try to explain to them why this has all happened without getting into some really deep histories, but uh, it is the way it is. And unfortunately, up until recently, this is another thing. What's exciting about the special op- media, uh, special operation or hot phase of the war, as I see it, uh, as someone who works in the media is now all of a sudden, I thought that I was going to be like completely out of a job when this started. It's the opposite. I think that uh, this one well, the rubles kind of lost value because remember the ruble is gaining on the dollar. But the dollar is lighting itself on fire. So so things are a little more expensive here. But the media opportunities have really actually grown. I think a lot of people are more excited. And now there's sort of an intellectual vacuum created by a lot of this sort of Western uh, propaganda stuff being 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 shoved sort of to the side. Because remember, one of the things that's allowed um, our good old uh, uh, kind of uh, Obama, Clinton, uh, oh, God, Vanderlei, uh, Schwab kind of friends to, to win is that in general, the opposition to them tends to just sit there and point and sputter and say, that's bad. That's bad. You you shouldn't talk about this. That's bad without offering some sort of other alternative. And I think Russia might finally start to sit down and offer an alternative. But uh, then again, Russia can tend to disappoint, especially when it comes to ideological things. Russians tend to have this stupid, ever-present, dumb as a bucket of horse manure opinion that there's something that's just mystical about Russia and magical and you can't understand it. Uh, you'll hear people say that you that famous quote that Russia can't be understood with the mind, but only be believed in with the heart. I hate that quote. I really wish I could just go back in time. And when that was said, just, you know, give that guy a good pop in the mouth just to shut him up because everyone here believes that. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> because there's reasons for things and uh, Russians often tend not to look for them because of that quote. Sorry. I said, Imana. that's yeah. you, getting you, confused yeah, with my, you, with old age. You mentioned uh, the, the media and I, one of my other questions was the information war and, and censorship that is getting totally unhinged or uh, Orwellian. Like I said, I've been taken off of pay, uh, Patreon and, and PayPal and, and people yeah. are being in the West. They're put, being put on, lists of russia dis- disinformation which is just complete like 
uh, nonsense. And, you know, RT is getting banned everywhere. And then in retaliation, Russia's just kicked out like the Canadian CBC and BBC. Yeah. And so like just w everyone should have access to this information. If I want to watch RT, if I want to watch CBC, BBC, whatever, but it's just, and, and again, people are being canceled and then being labeled as like on the verge of being labeled as terrorists. Uh, yeah. What's your take on the censorship? Well, you have to remember all the things you just mentioned are reactions. In fact, I just gave an interview on one channel where I explained to the host there that, you know, like during the Soviet Union, okay, a lot of people couldn't leave the Soviet Union. Why? Because they needed a, a visa na vuyezd. That's you actually had to get a visa from your own country to leave. So you know how, like, if you, if uh, American citizens, we wanted to visit China, we'd have to apply to it for a visa. If they give it, then we can go to China on certain days, right? And then the visa expires. You actually had to get that to leave the Soviet Union, okay? So that was a policy where the Soviet Union put up a barrier. Now, after this special operation hot phase started, well, it's Europe that's cut all the flights and made it basically impossible to get visas and for Russians to visit there. And this is the same thing. It's really the West that actually created all the censorship and Russia is sort of reacting to it. One could argue, well, two wrongs don't make a right. Why doesn't Russia just then be the be the bigger, the bigger man in the room and let the Western media be here while Russia's stuff is banned? I can kind of understand that argument, but I can also sort of understand it's like, well, if you take it on the chin too many times, you get knocked unconscious. So uh, there's also that argument. Um, I don't. I don't know, but I can definitely tell you that with all those things you mentioned and more, it's really the West that sort of started it and Russia is retaliating it to it because Russia's strange policy of always being reactionary. It definitely has a lot of minuses. But the thing is, say there was some sort of a big political change in America and they're like, OK, we're going everything's going back in time. We're going back to policies of the past and we're going to have, uh, you know, no more of this banning Russian stuff that's gone. Well, then we would have to see the character of Russia. Did they really mean that this is reciprocal? And would they then reallow everything? I would think yes, but there's no guarantees. Mm -hmm. And speaking of uh, canceling, you know, the canceling of Russia, they've um, everywhere, you know, all these brands are, are are leaving Russia, McDonald's. I mean, those, those are good things. Uh, who, who I don't mm -hmm. I haven't eaten McDonald's in I don't know how many years, but uh, mm -hmm. they're cutting Russia off from Swift. And, you know, I even had a Russian listener to Geopolitics and Empire who told me they were sorry they could not donate anymore because th their card uh, stopped. Oh, well, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. Working. I can't really get donations. I've had some people. There's this thing called Boosty, which is like Russian Patreon. Boosty, it's I believe it's Boosty.to. So if you can find Tim Kirby Russia there and you can somehow pay me, Pay me, baby, <laughs> if anyone's listening. But yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, everything has become completely financially segregated. It is very different, very difficult. Uh, some things I'll, I'll put this way. It also really depends. I think about this. It depends on your so someone's philosophical makeup. Say someone has a very childlike mind. They are very selfish. Oh, well, I guess then they're liberal. Oh, <laughs> because everything is about them. Well, the fact that now I can't buy anything on Steam anymore. Like video games, but basically all the video games I've had up until present, that's all I'm ever going to have. Okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. I could think about it, it's like, okay, well, okay. So t a couple, you know, some people say 10, uh, 10 to 16,000 people were murdered in the Donbass. My kind of people from my ethnicity, basically. And uh, let's see, we're fighting to save my culture and civilization from being wiped off the map. I could either sacrifice video games for my culture or i could sit here and become a protester and be angry and thankfully overwhelmingly i think the russian population has chose civilization over video games but there are plenty of people who like their video games <laughs> they're they're out there so. yeah I'm a, I'm a video game fan haven't had time to play really in a long time but um uh, get your thoughts as well on the, this end of the unipolar world this talk of a rise of a multipolar world um there's talk in the east of you know Sergei Glaziev and others a new financial architecture a new reserve yeah. currency to be developed by the BRICS digital currencies and so on you know what are your thoughts on the end of the unipolar world and the rise of the multipolar world and and what's going on here well you know you're going to get a pretty biased opinion because i would say that one of the things that underlines everything i've done in my uh sort of political uh analysis uh career and so on over the last gosh what is it 10 plus years uh really has been uh in favor of the um, uh, multipolar world uh, it's just it's really i'll put it this way of all the stuff because you seem to be how old are you in your 40s close something like that 
close. Okay, so I'm I'm older than you. Wow, I am the I'm the veteran here. But anyways, as a child of the Cold War, a lot of the things that they told us about America and the way the world works now, especially we even had um, in some point in school, we had sort of lessons about what propaganda is like, about what uh, uh, about monopolies in business, how monopolies are horrible and how all the trust busting that happened in the 18 uh, 1800s. And actually, this is in school. And I went to a poor school that was sort of like more inner city. And we actually got a decent education. We, we covered a lot of topics. Uh, not filtered through some sort of weird liberal like uh, activism filter. But anyways, monopolies were bad. We really found out what was good about America. Then you kind of sit around and you're like, you know what? I think the multipolar world actually offers a lot more of these sort of lessons from American history that we're supposed to believe in. You know what I mean? We Because any sort of monopoly, like uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That logic is very key to why America is the way it is, okay? That no one should have absolute power. But then America wins the Cold War and is like, you know what? You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But if we dominate the world, that's going to be much better because we're better people. No, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So we should have a world where at least America, Russia and China kind of have some nuclear weapons pointed at each other. It would be, it's better. The, I say actually in a multi or multipolar world, you definitely want to have more than three. Three is a dangerous number because three is this eternal battle to sort of woo one guy over to the other guy's side. Again, 1984. Uh, East Asia, Eurasia, and Oceania all fighting, you know, that. So it'd be better to have like five, six, seven, but we'll see. Uh, that really depends. That doesn't depend on us. That depends on the world. But uh, essentially, the more people you have, the more likely you are to sort of have uh, essentially checks and balances and not have someone who becomes a dictator because any monopoly instantly gets lazy. It's just the nature of being a monopoly. And in a lot of ways, I think, th I think the real global dominance of the world has really been the thing that's hurt America, especially spiritually, intellectually, and so on. Because uh, as soon as we sort of won the Cold War, there's absolutely nothing, no intellectual anything. All ideas are American. Because even if you think about it, the like left versus right debate, it's like left liberalism, American liberalism versus right American liberalism. And now here we're with these, all this other crazy stuff. We have this Chinese uh, Marxist Confucianism, you have whatever's going on in Russia, we don't even have a name for yet, uh, and so on and so forth. And so I think it's just going to really yield a much more uh, diverse in a good way. Uh, and um, basically, it's going to break this global dominance of one party, which has just been not overall good for the world. You, you mentioned nukes, and I wanted to ask you what's going on now in Kaliningrad, uh, Lithuania. They, Lithuania, at the behest of Brussels and, and Washington, cutting off the corridor and just increasing rhetoric from the Russians and the West from all sides about you know nukes and and World War Three. What's your take on the uh, uh, you know the real threat of escalation to nuclear war in World War Three? Are, are people talking about it there? What's your sense? Well, one of the things is, is that this is, again, a sort of America thing. Like if you, I can even remember back to like the nineties, like sort of rush Limbaugh era, you'll hear people like, you know, we should have just nuke them Iraqis. We nuke them. Like what's this? like that, that sort of thing. Although trust me in every country, there are plenty of stupid people, this one included, but that sort of rhetoric of let's just nukes. That's really not mentioned. That's uh. That's kind of like when someone's like, if someone were to come out and say, let's nuke them, that's when you're already in the clown category. That's clownish here. Okay. So, so threats with nuclear weapons, if the Russians, if and when they do make them, that's because they're serious. It's not some part of some sort of clownish rhetoric game. Now, what about Kaliningrad? Because Kaliningrad is cut off from the rest of Russia. Obviously, that makes it a vulnerable point. And obviously, the uh, men in the uh, Security Council who are probably mostly responsible or some would say at fault for the special operation and all this planning. Trust me, they knew, they knew that the West would try to cut off at some point, the Kaliningrad region. And uh, if for now, I guess they're going to be the only way to really get food. There is going to be by boat, but what if they create a Naval blockade? It's going to be the sort of painful point. And I think the Russians are making it clear, like, look, we are not going to allow you to create some sort of starvation blockade of Kaliningrad as an attempt to, I don't know, break it away from them or just punish the locals. Because uh, I've been there 
And yeah, there's plenty of fish in the sea, which is good. And uh, the land around it is maybe not, it's not completely inhospitable, but I think the, if they're going to survival mode, there's just not going to be enough food. And I think the West understands that. And that's why. And I think the Russians just made it very clear. Like, look, you can either let us have our trains that go through Lithuanian territory so we can send food there and supplies and everyone can get along, or we're going to cut a path of blood to make sure those trains run your choice. Yeah, that's a really uh, crazy situation. And uh, it's a dangerous one. It is very yeah. dangerous because, again, uh, why Why is this the, the, why the hot face of the war start? Because the Ukrainians kept killing people, uh, over 10,000 by all metrics. And if this happens again, we, you'll see Russia's reaction. And get your thoughts on, on Europe. You know, I've interviewed a number of European intellectuals, Guy Matan, Swiss politician journalist, uh, Terry Mason of Voltaire Network, and both of them have been saying one of the purpose of this Western instigated war in Ukraine uh, is to destroy Europe, collapse Europe. And in a way, that kind of goes along with some of the great reset plans, which is you will own nothing. I, and I, mm. from, I interpret it as getting rid of the middle class. And um that serves the agenda of of the great reset Davos folks where but with this ukraine war they're effectively wiping out the european middle class because of the energy prices the food inflation prices um all of this stuff and as Thierry Mason and the guy metan and others say the consequence of the ukraine war is, is actually collapsing europe and some say that one purpose is not to allow europe uh, you know strategic autonomy that so it would forever stay under washington's wing sort of as a vassal uh what are your thoughts on, on the energy situation and and the consequences for europe well the problem is that kind of stuff is hard to prove it's really hard to prove what someone's motivations are um i've over the years tried to explain this to people a lot of times they they feel that there's some way you can sort of prove in a court of law that why someone does what they do and you you don't know but one thing i can tell you is that uh, definitely well, here? One of the reasons why Russia continued to get sort of trampled on by Washington, uh, even when it was weak, when Putin first came in, is because of that whole project for a new American century. And especially his big new Brzezinski. He said if they get Ukraine back, they'll become strong again. They you can't let Ukraine uh, you know, go back to Russia. And the project for a new American century, they said that one of the key goals of America, of American foreign policy, is to not allow another great competitor to rise. Now, maybe that seems logical. Maybe that seems reasonable at the time, but it is not a good thing to do with human beings because it builds a lot of resentment. And if through historical inertia, that sort of logic is being withheld, this logic of the project for new American century, then that makes perfect sense because it's like, okay, We've lost, maybe perhaps they already know they've lost the monopolar world, but they say, well, at least we could completely shatter any possible competition. And in a lot of ways, they could be afraid that Russia's going to take Europe. Well, it's not going to take Europe now. So uh, there is a certain logic to that. If, uh, again, because when they got together and wrote the project for the American century, issue number one, no count, no competitors. And this is a great job a, of, of destroying uh, uh, age-old competitors to uh, uh, on the global stage, like France and Germany uh, and um, England. Yeah. Um, any any other thoughts you think are important to, to bring up, or you know, final thoughts? Uh, I would say to, to people that they really need to uh, try their best to read uh, English language Russian material and read Western media. Uh, you know, English language material about Russia and try to see what seems more true. Which of these two options? Because I'll tell you what, if you're going to read about Russia through this BBC, CNN lens, uh, everything is just going to be wrong. And um, it's actually kind of painful because they could do this right. Like I, like I was telling you before in this uh, very interview that like if I was head of the BBC, I actually do know how to sort of get the Russian public to be angry at their government. Like they, they, they're so, they so seriously do not care about what the uh, subhumans here do that they don't even want to eat. They just want to write what they want to write. And they're, they're just disgusted by people here. Oh, here's a good story. I can tell you uh, this, that uh, I was told by some Germans that I met a long time ago, and at least up until uh, the early two thousands, uh, maybe even to this day, I don't know, but the Germans when their embassy were so scared of the 
average Russians that they all lived in a compound out the, outside the city and took cars with like drivers and guards to get to the German embassy. And they went back and forth like that to, in order to have zero contact with the locals. That is like the mentality of some sort of weird, like a British colonizers in India or at Russia is no different. And that's why in a lot of ways, Russia is always considered a part of the global South, despite all the snows and bears. So there you go. That's our closing thought. All right. Um, where, where would be the best places to, uh, again, remind us to, to oh, find okay. you? Mm -hmm. If you want my political opinions, Tim, Kirby, Russia, that's on YouTube for now, Rumble and BitChute. And on the same platforms, you can watch my tourism uh, videos. That's uh, RTTT, Russia Tips, Tricks and Travel, uh, Travel R and three T's. And if you want to see about how I uh, renovated my crappy Russian house, that is this old Russian house, this old Russian house, also uh, on Rumble. So you got to look for it only on Rumble, just like the travel videos. Uh, and uh, one thing that might be interesting to some of your viewers is I'm trying to put together an entire village for English speaking foreigners within Russia that I have almost I'm so close. Right? We're waiting for the final contract to be able to take the land uh, and actually start developing uh, this village. That may be interesting to some of you who may want to uh, move to Russia. It's called the American Villages Project. My village will be in the south of the Moscow region. There's already a homesteading, more hardcore homesteading village that is already active up north uh, near uh, Rostov Veliki, where Russia's for now only Eastern Orthodox priest of American origin, Father Joseph Gleason lives. So that's his his flock. So if some people are looking to escape from uh, the Great Reset. A lot, uh, dude. Apart from Mexico, you've got a place there. I, I know I, I do recall the Russian government offering foreigners free plots of land and even eventual citizenship, but like way out in uh siberia so yeah. um all, all right everyone subscribe to I'll, i'll i'll include all the links uh in the description so you can find tim kirby's stuff there as well as his telegram at tim kirby hardcore spasiba for being on geopolitics and empire i hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast the website is geopoliticsandempire.com and i encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find geopolitics and empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.